A lot of people always ask, isn't eating a whole bunch of meat inflammatory? The answer is resoundingly no. It's not one shred of evidence that TMAO is causal of cardiovascular disease. Welcome to the video. A couple weeks ago, we did a two-year blood work. This video is pretty exciting. I actually got Dr. Paul Saladino, carnivore MD, to review my lab results with a lot of these metrics like TMAO, lipids, and stick around towards the end because I'm gonna have a special announcement about some of the cool, exciting stuff that we have launching on OptiAline and our content. So enjoy, without further ado, here's me and Dr. Saladino going through my labs. This podcast with Kurt's blood work and the future podcast that I will do with my blood work will answer many of your questions because people always ask me, what blood work should I get? Kurt, what's up, brother? How you doing? Doing well, doing well. All right. So we're both in Austin, but we're doing this virtually via Zoom because it allows us to uh, share the screen share for everybody. But before we jump into your blood work, tell people how you're eating and what your diet is like, and that'll give us some context for all the things we're gonna look at. Yeah, so pretty much a nose to tail carnivore diet. Well, I think it's well constructed. I've been working on it for the last year and a half, two years, and uh, I've been eating, uh, for the most part, kidney three, four days a week, two, I'd say three or four ounces, and then I also do liver. I do a lot of red meat. I do mainly grass-fed beef. I do eggs most days of the week and i've just been doing a lot of like the the fundamental carnivore stuff that um it's it's been a good journey for the last two years doing carnivore like that so i do a little bit of honey midweek and uh it's been kind of an evolution over the last um several months kind of introducing that but it's been carnivore i would say nose to tail and you can kind of be the judge paul of how uh how close to where you want it to be it is and what you think of when you think of a, like a true nose to tail. But um, yeah, two years carnivore now. Cool, any supplements? Yeah, actually I, I got some of the heart and soul stuff recently and really was digging it. I think, uh, I mean, so I've been traveling a lot. So like, especially the last month and a half, um, I've got the Firestarter, the, um, the organ complex, the, uh, the gut one is really cool too because you just, it's hard to find tripe some of those, those more unique sort of foods that are even, even hard to source from like farmer's markets and from some of the more special places where I get my food that is more unique. So I've, I've been really enjoying those and I do those pretty regularly. It, um, if I have organs at my disposal, it's, it's a little bit of a, of a trade-off where I'll, I'll pick certain ones, but, but yeah, I've been digging, I've been digging those. But uh, other than, than a little bit of that, uh, some of those, I also do boron, Probably every day I do about six milligrams of that and then real salt and that's about it. Cool, all right, awesome. All right, with that context, you guys, you've heard that Kurt has been doing nose to tail carnivore diet for about two years now. He gets fresh organs when he can get them, which is most of the time when he can't, he's filling in with desiccated organs. We happen to make some at Hardened Soil if you need them. You guys can always email me if you have questions and we'll look at his blood work and kind of go from there. I think this will be really cool and we will answer a lot of questions for you guys. So let's just jump into this right now. So. Here is the beginning of Kurt's blood work. Most of the blood work that I order on people is from Cleveland Heart Lab. I like this lab um, and we'll start at the top here. So we've got the inflammatory markers. A lot of people always ask me questions, isn't carnivore inflammatory? Isn't eating a whole bunch of meat inflammatory? The answer is resoundingly no, it's not. And you can see that very clearly in Kurt's blood work. And I'll give you guys a preview that mine looks essentially the same here in terms of the inflammation as well. Myeloperoxidase is an enzyme secreted by neutrophils. It's very low. HSCRP is high sensitivity C-reactive protein. It's very low. You can see Kurt's old blood work here from October of 2019 when we did this a little over uh, 10 months ago. It was also less than 0.3. 
And F to isoprostein to creatinine ratio is just another index of, I would say, oxidative stress. Something was happening here. Who knows if this was just a, a random bump in F2 isoprostein, but the more recent one is quite low. So no oxidative stress, no bump in HSCRP, no neutrophils activated. Animal-based diets are not inflammatory. They are nutrient-rich in what humans have been eating for our entire evolution, you guys. So that's a great place to start. Then we'll jump into cholesterol here. Paul, and, I'll, mention, I'll mention one thing on the, uh, on the F2 osteoprostane. We actually pulled labs from um, a different source since this October number. So for F2 isoprostanes, the last time we tested these labs, which was last October, the numbers were higher. And I think it's because I had not done therapeutic phlebotomy and my iron levels, as you'll see further along in the actual lab values, were elevated to over 400. The ferritin was over 400. And so after we did those labs and I had a chance to donate blood a few times this last calendar year, I saw that my ferritin levels went down as you'll see later on in these labs. So I wanted to add that context because during the interview, when Paul interviewed me, it was early, I had been out, I had been doing some things. And so I wasn't able to kind of clearly articulate what I wanted to share here. And so there's a few snippets in the video here where I'm gonna come in and talk a bit about my context to add some information there and just give you a better bit of a basis for what was going on in those labs. Um, that's just to add a little context to that. And little things like that can cause bumps. Um, it's important if you're gonna get an HSCRP that you don't have a hard workout the day before. When you guys listen to the podcast that I do on my blood work, you'll see that I had an HSCRP that went up to 1.7 after I did a day of ARX, which is the worst workout I've ever done. Uh, it's the hardest workout I've ever done. It's adaptive resistance training. Shout out to the ARX guys here in Austin. It'll crush you. My muscles were ridiculously sore and my HSCRP bumped to 1.7. So if you're having a hard workout, and your CRP is up, that could be going on. You got to take a couple of different metrics or at least measures to make sure there's nothing going on in the background here. Um, looking at the lipids, this is common. I have done so many podcasts on lipids. This is the pattern that I usually see. You will see an elevated quote LDL cholesterol with a high HDL and a low triglycerides. This is metabolic health. LDL is not causal in atherosclerosis and an elevated LDL in the absence of metabolic dysfunction and we will see later in Kurt's labs how I can tell that he's metabolically healthy is not an issue. I will repeat that. An elevated LDL quote in the absence of metabolic dysfunction is not problematic. Context matters. We're going to see contextual things come up in a moment with uric acid as well, but context is everything, you guys. And Western medicine always forgets this. The context for both uric acid, for gout, and for lipids, lipoproteins, for cholesterol, for LDL is everything. Western medicine ignores this. The context is everything. It is metabolic health. If you are metabolically healthy, you are fine. Um, this is not the same thing as an elevated LDL in the setting of metabolic unhealth, which we would call metabolic dyslipidemia, which would have high triglycerides, low HDL, generally speaking. So Kurt's LDL is quote high. Uh, mine is actually higher. If you guys saw what I posted, the last LDL I had was 536 and my CAC scan, my coronary artery calcium scan was zero. So you can see here the triglyceride to HDL ratio is very low. The LDL particle number is just a reflection of the LDL cholesterol. This is milligrams per deciliter. This is a density measure. This is an actual particle count. You can see Kurt's count is still quote high, but again, context is everything. Small LDL is low, LDL size is good, 22.9 nanometers or 229 angstroms. My LDL is 24.7. Um, nanometers, so it's even bigger than this particle. 
And um, that probably is just reflective of the amount of um, carrier, protein, carrier molecules in the LDL in my blood work. Kurt's HDL particle number is quite high, 45.1 micromole uh, per liter. You will also notice that the reference ranges of these are one order of magnitude different. There is over 10 times more, um, there's over 10 times more HDL here than there is LDL, or there's significantly more HDL than LDL, maybe not 10 times looking at these units, but you get the idea. HDL is more prevalent in your bloodstream than LDL, but HDL doesn't cause atherosclerosis. HDL is also a smaller particle than LDL, but doesn't cause atherosclerosis. Anyway. Paul, when they, when they pull these labs, sorry to cut you off. When they pull these labs and people look at these, these variables in the context of being metabolically healthy as you get through this video, do you, are, are there any of the, the, the lipid numbers in that sense like gonna scare you or have you seen like a lot of ranges or is this, is this pretty typical of a carnivore? Just, just curious because there's just so many things that they're looking at there. It's pretty typical of somebody that eats well and is metabolically healthy. I think that if you are not chugging vegetable oil, your LDL is likely to be high. And if you are eating saturated fat from animals, which I consider to be very healthy, your LDL is likely to be high. And this is what we see. And you're going to be metabolically healthy as well. You'll see HDL size 10.9 nanometers. LDL is 22.9 nanometers. HDL is smaller than LDL. If this were a matter of LDL size leading to LDL infiltration into the subendothelial space, it's not a, it would be silly because LDL is twice as big as HDL. It's not how big the LDL particle is. LDL size is just a proxy for insulin sensitivity, quote unquote. It's a proxy for metabolic health. So it's not that your LDL is so small that it can sneak into your arteries. That's silly. HDL is way smaller. Um, okay, so glucose, fasting glucose 86, that's what I want to see. I don't want to see it above 100. C-peptide is a fragment of insulin. And here is your total insulin molecule. Both of those are low, suggesting metabolic health. Now, you have to be careful. I think that insulin, fasting insulin and C-peptide are much more relevant when they are eaten, when they are taken in the setting of eating carbohydrates. A fasting insulin that's very low when you're not eating carbs is not so much of an indication, but it's still valuable. So in this section, Paul is going over my fasted insulin. I want to make a mention that I have a video we'll link up in the description here where you can go and see a lot of the data I had because in August, I wore a CGM for the entire month and I tracked my blood sugar levels as I was going throughout my days, sleeping, waking, going into sauna, eating honey. And I documented a lot of those data points and shared with you in that video exactly what these different things did to my blood sugar. So if you're interested in fasted insulin, mine was typically in the high 70s, low 80s, the majority of my fasted state. And then what would happen is if I ate honey or I went out in the sun or I did the sauna sesh or I had wine, for example, which I explained in the video, I had elevated levels. So that just adds a little context here. You can go check that video out to learn a lot more and just get the whole picture. Hemoglobin A1C 5.2, pretty good. Average blood glucose 103. That's right about where I want to see it. I want to talk about this TMAO. You can see Kurt's mm -hmm. TMAO here in October was 10. Now it's 42. Stephen Gundry would fall out of his chair, but as most of you guys know, if you've read my book, The Carnivore Code, TMAO is a, is a total red herring. It's never been shown to be causally problematic for humans. And I want to share a couple of articles that I pulled up really quickly on screen share that will corroborate this assertion. If you are listening to someone and they are telling you that TMAO is bad, they do not know the literature. 
So the first one is this article, the assessment of the causal direction between gut microbiota dependent metabolites and cardiometabolic health, a bidirectional Mendelian randomization study. It's a whole mouthful. This is what you need to know. Our Mendelian randomization findings support that type two diabetes and kidney disease increase TMAO levels. And observational evidence for cardiovascular diseases may be due to confounding or reverse causality. So this is a great article, you should read it. This was actually a pretty landmark article suggesting that, hey, TMAO as causal in cardiovascular disease is baloney. It's baloney, it's gefilte fish, right? <laughs> it's not true. It's observational evidence that's confounded. Reverse causality means that because kidney disease and type 2 diabetes are comorbid with cardiovascular disease and those can raise TMAO, often you see those correlated, but there is not one shred of evidence that TMAO is causal of cardiovascular disease, nor is there one shred of evidence that LDL is causal for atherosclerosis. One more here. This is great. TMAO in seafood, rotten or forgotten. Basically, the authors of this short uh, little paper say, indeed, TMAO has previously been suggested as a marker of seafood consumption. TMAO is much higher in seafood. Seafood is an important dietary source of free TMAO, in addition to TMAO precursors, carnitine and choline. So fish has never been associated with cardiovascular disease. Red meat, carnitine, and choline-containing foods have, but that is what I call in the book, that is confounded by healthy and unhealthy user bias. Basically, TMA is the compound that is formed, uh, that is made into TMAO in the liver. You get pre-TMA from bacteria in the gut when you eat carnitine and choline, but TMAO is not toxic. And these authors are saying, as they say in this last sentence, taken together, TMAO, contrary to TMA, does not smell bad, and its ingestion via seafood should probably not be regarded as fishy business. Basically, what they're saying is TMAO isn't bad for humans, and anyone that says that doesn't know the literature. Not surprised. Now, if you had any questions about TMAO, you can also um, find this interesting data in rats showing that low-dose TMAO reduced blood pressure, reduced diastolic blood pressure, and it reduced heart fibrosis in hypertensive rats. So TMAO did something good in rats. Again, it's an animal model, but there's TMAO doing something positive. And then if you want one more, it's a review on TMAO, the good, the bad, the unknown. Despite the accumulating evidence, it is questioned whether TMAO is the mediator of or bystander in the disease process of cardiovascular disease. TMAO is a bystander. It's probably beneficial for humans and there's no evidence that it's causal. So this TMAO bump for Kurt doesn't worry me. It says more about his gut flora and the fact that he's eating carnitine and choline. I'll tell you what, I've also seen TMAO high in people who don't eat meat. That's been documented before in vegetarians. It's not causal. It's not something to worry about. Stephen Gundry is wrong. Why do you, Paul, why do you think people are so misled by this though? Is it, is, is it similar like the whole wave with the lipid hypothesis and just not really, it's the associative things that they're seeing in these, these variables? Uh, correlation is not causation, but it's always reported in the media as causation when it's actually correlation. So it's just people don't understand the studies they're looking at, physicians who are biased and trying to create the TMAO story to make red meat look bad or ignoring the fact that there's more TMAO in fish than is formed by the creatine, or excuse me, the carnitine and choline in red meat. And also that some vegetables have TMAO and also that none of it is actual interventional evidence. It's all correlation. So 
we're badly misled, you guys. This happens over and over and over. All right, this next part's really important. Methylmalonic acid is just a marker of B12, but I wanna point out Kurt's homocysteine is 6.2. Now, I forget, Kurt, if you have polymorphisms for NTHFR, but in carnivores or people who are doing animal-based diets who do not eat organ meats, I see homocysteine bump. This is one of the major problems I have with the ideology or the notion that we can get away with just eating meat. Homocysteine will bump, and that is not good. It's associated with oxidative stress, many other problems. You don't want your homocysteine to be above seven or eight, and you will become folate and riboflavin deficient without organs, which is why liver or desiccated liver, desiccated organs, or eating nosotail is crucial. Our ancestors have always done it. I have an MTHFR polymorphism. My homocysteine will be high if I don't eat organs. That happened before I was a carnivore, but I don't need to take methylfolate because I eat the organs. You should not take methylfolate. You should eat nose to tail. You can see Kurt's previous homocysteine, 5.9. In carnivores that I work with who come to me who are just eating meat, I see homocysteine 10, 11, 12, 14. It's not where you want your homocysteine to be. This is undeniable. You cannot get enough folate from meat. You cannot get enough riboflavin from meat. Big problem here. Don't ignore homocysteine, guys. And I don't, I don't have a polymorphism for that. You do? I do not. Okay. Yeah. Coenzyme Q10, 2.55, way above the reference range. Lots <laughs> of coenzyme Q10 in heart, in liver, in all kinds of the organs. Most cardiologists would be so stoked to see a coenzyme Q10 of 2.55. They're going to use supplements, but we are getting it from organs. Here's Kurt's folate, 7.5, B12, 889, vitamin D, 56. Again, you want to be in the sun to get this vitamin D. You don't want to be taking a vitamin D supplement. Let's check out the fatty acids. This will be cool with regard to linoleic acid. So you can see what I really look at here is how much EPA, DPA, which is docosapentaenoic acid and DHA, there's plenty. And then these are really interesting. This linoleic acid has gone from 20.9 to 17.9. That's what I wanna see. I wanna see linoleic acid going down. This is a serum, okay? This is fatty acids in the whole blood, right? So it's not a red blood cell. You have to look at different reference ranges, but I'm still happy to see linoleic acid declining in Kurt's blood relative to this one. Did you make any dietary changes, less linoleic acid containing foods, Kurt, that might account for this? No, I haven't. I don't, I don't think, um, I, I don't, what would affect that, Paul? Less fat from chicken. Yes, yes. I've done a lot less of that lately. I'd okay. say like in the last uh, six months, I've gotten rid of a lot of conventional pork. Even the pork I was getting from like the farmer's markets because I've been watching your stories and your your comments about PUFAs. And so I've been just kind of steering more towards grass-fed beef and like my wild game that I'm hunting. Okay. So that's probably, that's probably what we're seeing here. I've spoken about this before. You can see the amount of linoleic acid in somebody's blood and red blood cells based on, um, based on these numbers and based on the diet. So when Kurt cut out pork, um, this dropped, which I think is a good thing. That's what you want to see. This arachidonic acid I think is totally normal. I don't go by this reference range. This is a healthy fat. Um, it's necessary for muscle growth. We got the full comprehensive metabolic blood panel here. You can see it's all pretty normal. Glucose, calcium, sodium, potassium chloride, bicarbonate. Uh, Kurt is not acidotic. BUN is in normal. Kidney function is normal. Um, alkaline phosphatase is high level gallbladder function, normal. ALT and AST is normal. That's liver function. Again, Kurt's kidneys, liver, gallbladder, stomach, all function totally normally on an animal-based nosotero carnivore diet. Not surprising because that's all healthy food for humans. That's what we're supposed to be eating. Bilirubin is normal. Um, serum magnesium is normal. 
CK is muscle uh, breakdown, normal. I want to point out this uric acid. It's actually 2.8. If you listen to conventional wisdom, they will tell you that eating a lot of organ meats and meat is going to raise your uric acid. It's going to cause Kurt to get gout. Well, his uric acid is below the reference range. So that's a totally worthless um, paradigm. It's clearly missing something. I said this earlier, context matters. In the context of metabolic health, meats, organ meats, and fructose do not cause gout. They do not. It's metabolic health. Fructose does not cause gout if you are metabolically healthy. I'll do a whole video about that. People need to stop fear-mongering around that. And also, hey, organ meats do not. Meat Paul, do not. The if you have diabetes, the context is completely different. You better fix your diabetes. If you want to know how to fix your diabetes, you should listen to all the other content I've done about polyunsaturated fats, which I believe are really at the root of this. Uh, Paul, quick question for you. Great. What's that? What's that? Quick question. On the GFR, we saw the GFR kind of drop, and I posted these labs just going through myself, and it's still well above the reference range. Do you think maybe eating more protein would affect that, or um, it, it could just be a variable that from time to time fluctuates depending on the day and the, the way the body's reacting? Or, or Do you have any thoughts on that? Because I think it was 110 before and went down to 80. Yeah, it's going to fluctuate based on what you had the night before. So GFR is a calculated measure. It's the uh, glomerular filtration rate. So here it is, EGFR. That E means it's calculated. It's not directly measured. And they're going to calculate it based on the creatinine. Now, in people who have more muscle mass, this is going to bump. And if you're eating more protein, this can bump, which is why if you're worried about your kidney function and you're eating a lot of protein or you have a lot of muscle mass, you should also get a C, uh, a cystatin C. And I've talked about that in the past. We didn't get it for Kurt. I'm not worried about his kidney function at all. But creatinine is, can also bump up with more meat in the diet and more muscle mass. Mm. So good question. So you look at Kurt's hormones here, uh, his DHEA, estradiol, FSH, and LH stimulate the testosterone production in the testicles. You can see Kurt's testosterone is very robust. His free testosterone is very robust. This is a normal human male's testosterone, you guys. This is what you want. Carnivore diets do not cause the testosterone to drop. I definitely think carbohydrates help with this. You'll also notice his IGF-1. Many people, I've debated Stephen Gundry and many others about this, will say, IGF-1 is going to bump. You're going to overactivate mTOR. Baloney. Gefelta fish. Total bunk, you guys. Look at this IGF-1. It's less than the average. The Z-score is almost an entire standard deviation less than the average. He's not overactivating mTOR. He's not overactivating IGF-1, probably because he's doing some degree of intermittent fasting. What does your mm -hmm. timing of your food look like, Kurt? Breakfast around 10, usually most days, and then dinner is usually around five or six. But then I'm really strict about not eating outside of my normal feeding window. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not too tight, but once I get done with dinner, I don't eat after that. The benefits of intermittent fasting, even when you're eating meat, you don't have to overstimulate mTOR. PTH. That's calcium. You want that to be in the lower third to fourth of the reference range. You want to see LH and FSH robust. If you have a low testosterone, you can email me or answer your questions, Dr. Paul at hardensoil.co. But if FSH and LH are low, you have a sleep problem or another issue, your pituitary is not stimulating the testicles. Obviously, these are male hormones. Women have testosterone too. It looks a little different. You can see bioavailable testosterone. All the testosterone labs look amazing. SHBG is interesting, sex hormone binding globulin. I want to point out that Kurt's went from 103 to 57. And my question for you, Kurt, is were you supplementing with boron in October? And because I saw mine do a similar thing when I added carbohydrates back in. The addition of carbohydrates in my diet dropped my SHBG, which made the free testosterone go way up, 
Were you supplementing with boron in October? Yeah, I was. And I think, okay. I think I'm kind of in line with you. I, I was not doing carbohydrates in these labs in October. Right. So the difference is this is carbohydrate less. This is carnivore without carbs. Both of, our, both of them are fine, you guys. This is carnivore with carbohydrates. SHBG drops a lot. And you can see testosterone went from 703 to 977. The free went way up because the sex hormone binding globulin dropped. So I don't think we know androgen sensitivity could have changed here, but I thought it was interesting that on both Kurt and my labs, SHBG dropped with carbohydrates. Um, there are many notable carnivores who have very low testosterone. And I think this is problematic. Uh, I think the addition of some ancestrally consistent carbohydrates is very valuable for humans. On people on generally low carb diets, I do see a low total T3. Um, I would expect Kurtz to be a little bit higher, but you can see his TSH isn't bumping. So I'm not worried about his thyroid labs. Generally speaking, I think this is fine. We do see low total T3 on people on ketogenic diets though. It sounds like Kurt is ketogenic most of the time if you're only eating honey a few times a week. Is that right? Yeah, I'm doing keto. I'm, I'm eating a lot of like suet beef fat in the mornings and then I'm doing the intermittent fasting and then I'm only adding carbs probably four, four to five days a week. Other than that, it's probably five, 10 grams of carbs a day at the most from just random things. But for the most part, I'm very ketogenic. Okay. So there's some variance here. I wonder if he added more carbs if the T3 would bump here, but the, the free T3 is totally within normal. And if you're not having any symptoms of cold or um, would be the, the hypothyroid similar I would think of, or weight gain or lethargy, these thyroid labs are totally physiologic, I think, for people who are on lower carb animal-based diets. Antithyroid antibodies are here. They're both very low. You can see Kurt's ferritin is interesting. Kurt does have a polymorphism that causes him to overabsorb iron. Between these two, we did phlebotomy for Kurt. So I don't like ferritin to go over 300. And if it does, you do phlebotomy. It's not that I don't want Kurt to be eating meat and organs. It's that he avidly absorbs iron. So let's do phlebotomy a few times uh, every year and get rid of that excess ferritin. Um, you'll also notice that the, as the ferritin goes from 417 to 257, the F2 isoprostine came down. Could have also been his workout. So something might've been better there, but a 417 mm -hmm. ferritin, I would do phlebotomy. Again, these are the hemochromatosis genes. I've talked about that in the past. Transferrin sat is 22. He doesn't have classical hemochromatosis. He just has one of the other variants. The transferrin sat will be very high if he had classical hemochromatosis. White blood cells. A lot of people have white blood cells that are right around this 3.5 range, technically out of the reference range, but it's not a problem. Kurt isn't having recurrent infections. In fact, he, he crushed coronavirus earlier this year. <laughs> you didn't have any problem with that, did you? No, it was pretty, pretty mild, pretty mild. So Paul mentioned uh, that I crushed coronavirus earlier this year, and I did. I did a couple blogs on that. You can see my day-by-day -day kind of vlogging of that experience. It wasn't just a common cold. I felt like I did have some flu-like symptoms, but I didn't take anything. I didn't have to worry about anything as far as respiratory issues. I never really had a fever. For the most part, it felt like a very mild flu to me, and it passed in about seven, eight days. The, really, the only notable symptom I had was I lost my sense of smell my sense of taste for about three or four days throughout that whole experience. We'll link also those specific uh, videos and uh, we'll probably dub in a quick bit about my conversation with Paul that I had on Instagram Live when we talked about my experience while I had it or right when I was going through it. So you can kind of see that. When you got COVID, I was like, oh, this is gonna be cool because <laughs> Kurt, Kurt is, is about as nose to tell carnivore as it gets. But I'm curious, <laughs> nothing major, would you say? No Nothing major at all. Did you ever have any trouble breathing? No. 
but that's all I wanted to mention with that. Uh, coronavirus for me, and I think for a lot of people who are metabolically healthy with these types of lab panels is not gonna be something to be scared about. So Kurt's immune system clearly functions just fine. You see red blood cells, hemoglobin, hematocrit, MCV, MCH, all of these things, totally normal. I like to look at the RDW, the red cell distribution with platelets, uh, neutrophil percentage. If you're interested in um, immunometabolism, listen to the podcast I did with Tommy Wood. We talked about the neutrophil to lymphocyte ratio so you can compare the absolute neutrophils to the absolute lymphocytes. And what happens here, you guys, this is where you will also see metabolic dysfunction when the neutrophil to lymphocyte ratio changes. You don't want expansion of the lymphocyte pool at the expense of the neutrophils. Um, that is a problem. You don't want them to be imbalanced. That is what we see in people with severe COVID and the immune system is connected with metabolic health. Everything is connected with metabolic health. And you can see it here. Obviously Kurtz is fine. We know he is metabolically healthy because he has a low fasting insulin a low fasting glucose, a low C-peptide. And if we were wearing a CGM, which I know he's worn from NutriSense, you don't see a lot of deviation in the blood glucose throughout the day. Uh, just, to, just to comment on that, Paul, I think my fasted uh, blood sugar when I was waking up was in the high 70s, low 80s, almost, almost all the time on the, on the CGM. You would also say that fasted triglycerides are another variable, right? That you would look for for metabolic dysfunction. If those were elevated. Yeah. Yes, I would. And yours are very low. His urine looks just fine. The pH is low because he's a carnivore, but I don't think it's a problem. Specific gravity is kind of high. He's probably a little bit dehydrated, but it's fine. There's nothing else negative in the urine. And the only other things you see here are that there's no arsenic or lead in the urine. There was no heavy metals in the urine. And that was the end of the blood work panel for Kurt. So it looks pretty darn good. Now, the only thing I want to mention to you guys is that a lot of people ask about oxidized LDL. And I don't like the oxidized LDL from Cleveland Heart Labs. I like it from this lab, which we can order for you, Kurt, Boston Heart, oxidized phospholipids on ApoB. I'm gonna get this on myself and I'm gonna get this on Kurt, but this is the test you want if you wanna get oxidized LDL. You do not want ox LDL from Cleveland Heart Labs. Cleveland Heart Labs, they're most 99.99% of oxidized LDL is not accurate. It's a Boolean. It's a positive or negative. It's an antibody to one oxidized phospholipid on the surface of an LDL particle will turn it positive. That test from Boston Heart will tell you what the percentage of phospholipids on the surface of your ApoB containing particles, which is LDL and chylomicrons, are going to have um, what the percentage of the phospholipids on there are that are oxidized. So that is the test you want for oxidized LDL, not the regular uh, ox LDL. So that is Kurt's blood work, you guys. He's been on a carnivore diet for two years, nose to tail, using desiccated organs when he's traveling to fill in stuff. If you guys need desiccated organs, check us out at Heart and Soil, heartandsoil.co, heartandsoil.co. You can always email me, drpaul at heartandsoil.co. And hopefully Kurt and I are gonna get out hunting soon whenever he gets a bow. <laughs> It's All right, tough, Kurt, any more questions before we wrap this one up? No, I mean, I think you answered a lot of them. So that's pretty much it. I hope you enjoyed this video. If you did, hit that like button, subscribe. I put out content every single week. We upload a video, and it's usually in the realm of ancestral alignment, carnivore diet. A lot of the foundation of what I work on and what you'll find in the links below is really about our mission with OptiAlign. And I do want to mention, lastly, that today is the first opening of our carnivore diet course. I spent many, many hours building this course and it is now live. So if you wanna learn about the Carnivore Diet course, we have that down in the video link description. It is a game changer. If you don't know where to start, 
go there, check it out, learn how to do the carnivore diet the right way from nose to tail to get the results that I've gotten as well as many of the other people who follow Saladino's work and have learned how to kind of master this nose to tail way of eating. I think that's very important, especially when you're talking about the carnivore diet. There are nuances, you wanna do it the right way, you wanna learn about the transition. I've been doing this now for several years and I've found that it was a bumpy transition when I had nothing to go off of, but now that there's some really incredible resources out there, I think that this type of course can be really, really valuable. So check it out, subscribe, hit the link, let me know what you think in the comments below, and I appreciate you all for watching. Thank you very much.